Well, hello, Eric. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm I'm hanging in. All right. This is an interview with Eric Del Carlo, an author, and he's written a book called The Colds, which is a fantastic read. You have to get it and try it because it's really, really worth your while. I I really believe that. Yeah, now, I agree. Yep. <laughs> you agree, right? So let's get right into it. You described the advent of the Coles as comparable to the World Trade Center event, mm. as calamities too ridiculous or to, to accept. Explain the reasoning behind this, if you would. And because the advent of the cold seems different, quieter. They weren't aware of it at first. It didn't happen with a plane crashing into the World Trade Center and everyone was instantly aware of it. So were they really the same, yet somehow different? In a way, more like the invasion of the body snatchers that knew and, no one knew was going on? Yeah. Got out of control? Well, that, that's a good analogy. Um, it's the fact that when the, when the cold come, and the cold are human beings who are all of a sudden born without any emotions whatsoever. And it happens to every single child on the planet, and it's going to happen. The, the whole human race has just suddenly changed. And the, so there's this species that looks like us and, you know, has the same physiology as us, but has absolutely no uh, emotional structure. They do not feel anything. And yes, this does happen quietly, but it happens all at once when they look back at it in a kind of forensic way. It was like, oh, this was the day that people stopped being born with emotions. And it happened all across the world to absolutely every single being on the planet. Now, there's no precedent for anything like that. So the idea of it being invasion of the body snatchers, I'm, you know, that's probably how some people thought of it. But to try and put it in context, because when something horrible happens to you, you do look for context. You look for uh, how how can I how can I relate this to some past event and see how others in their time behaved in the face of something just so terrible you can't even contemplate it. So you go to the milestones. You go to 9/11. You go to Pearl Harbor, which, when these things happened had to have been incredible shocks to the system just across a swath like everybody felt this you know right i i i remember 9-11 of course i'm you know i'm i'm of that age i was a fully grown adult me too yeah yeah and i i i got up in the morning weird thing was i was getting out of bed at exactly the time the first plane hit the tower but I was not wired up. I did not have, you know, cell phone. It, it was a different world. Right. So I got up and I went and I and I wrote something on my computer and I'd, I'd woken up way too early and it was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get through the day without more sleep. But I'm awake right now. So I do what I did. I went, I went, I wrote and then I went back to bed and was sleeping late. And my wife came in and woke me up. And she started telling me about the planes hitting the towers. And I'm trying to absorb this. Like, wow, is this really happening? Thinking of the implications, thinking of the lives that have already been lost and what's going to happen next. And you know, the, and I finally just looked at her and I said, are you kidding about this? Is this, you know, is, is this a really, really good practical joke? And of course she said, no, this is for real. And then from that moment on, I accepted it. And I started, and then I went out and I found the information. We watched the news and it's like, okay. So when the colds come, 
that's kind of a touchstone for people. You can go back to the terrible calamity and the fact that the main character in this story is a 40-year-old guy, Kyle Norris, and he was born right around the time of 9-11, just in that general vicinity. So he grew up with this kind of cultural, not malaise, but a sort of uh, low hum of hysteria around him, and he absorbed it. And I know that this happens because I was born in the middle of the Vietnam War. Now, I do not remember seeing footage on the news or any of the gory stuff that I know was around. I was, you know, young, young child. And but I was aware and I knew that I knew that something horrible was going on and that people were being killed. And the thing about Vietnam was that if you asked why were we fighting, nobody had an answer. Right. They didn't you know. Who who are the oh, who are the Viet Cong? Are they you know this isn't like a World War II movie, you know, the the right. Germans and the Axis powers, if we don't stop them, they're going to come and get us. They're going to come and conquer the entire world. And that's the idea. But it, it was it wasn't like that with Vietnam. There was no clear delineation. Yeah. And there was even there was even it's a, a war of war. Yeah. Second World War. Yeah. But there was even a war of semantics with Vietnam, which just even as a kid, this like kind of drove me crazy. It was like, well, it's not really a war because we didn't actually declare war. So it's actually just a police action. And it was like, in my mind, it's like, does that make any difference to the people who got killed? I mean, I remember going to a funeral when I was, I don't know, four years old, maybe. And it was a guy, you know, somebody from the neighborhood um, who stepped on a landmine and got killed. You know, and it was like, and somebody had to explain to me what a landmine would do to this little, little child. And I'm trying to absorb this. So the idea that there's sort of built in trauma to Kyle Norris's in the book, his life of growing up with 9-11, the sense of what's going to happen next? Are they going to come back? What's going to blow up tomorrow? So he's got this, you know, let me ask you a question. So he likens the coal to that cataclysmic event. Let me ask you a question about that. Please. Oh. First, when um, I was driving to give a talk to mm -hmm. some people, a gathering of people at the um, Detroit airport, right? Right. When I was ill-prepared for the talk. I didn't get any sleep the night before. I had to make it up as I was going along. I was thinking as I was driving in, oh, my God, what am I going to say? I'll say this. I'll say that. And uh, I got a call. And Dennis Patrick, who is a friend of mine, said, uh, the World Trade Center has been bombed, Rick. So we're going to close down the meeting. And I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> the World Trade Center's been one. Yeah. But I finally got through my head that it wasn't true because I turned on the radio and heard all about it. But when I drove home, it didn't really affect me. I mean, it was on TV, mm -hmm. and constant 24-hour news update, update, um, you know, that Osama bin Laden, everybody's that appalled at it. But it didn't really affect me. And the Vietnam War... I was a kid, too, and uh, when the Vietnam War happened, it, I heard about the atrocities, mm. the Vietnamese and the Americans and everything about it, but it didn't really affect me because I lived my life. It didn't really touch me, right? Right. It's like the pandemic. It didn't really affect me mm. because the pandemic, I always stay inside and I always work and everything. I very rarely go out except at nighttime to martial arts. And during the pandemic, I still went to martial arts, right? So the reason I'm saying this is Kyle, your main character. Yes. Didn't have any kids, right? Mm -hmm. And so how exactly, besides the feeding 
socializing influence of the media and everybody talking about the cause, but it didn't really affect him either, did it? So uh, honestly, it didn't affect his what he did for a living, yeah. his life, and everybody talk about the colds. Oh, the God, the colds are terrible, right? But honestly, he didn't seem to suffer from it. He just as as an outside observer, he observed the whole thing and he took it in. Yeah, but there was well, no effect to him, right? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's kind of the mode that he's lived his life in, like. Last time we were talking, I say Kyle Norris is kind of a half step out of sync with everybody else. And he's not right. quite he's he's not quite caught up in the moment. That was a good description, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, um, it, it felt honest. Um, uh, but he's living in a society where whether he whether you're immediately aware of it or not, every aspect has been impacted by the coming of the cold. You know, right. you don't. You know, you're living in a world where the children who are born aren't really your children anymore. So nobody's showing baby pictures at work. You know, oh, look, here's little Susie. She's three. And look at her. She's blowing out the birthday candles. It's like, yep. no, there's there's absolutely none of that. And, you know, you have the disruption of uh, of a society that has realized that the colds have come and have done atrocities against the cold. And it, it's almost it's. It's almost like, well, how did the German people after World War II absorb what their nation had done? Not necessarily what they had done, but what the military, what the government, you know, how do you absorb that as a people, you know, and and they and they did an admirable job of. Owning up and saying, you know, this will never happen again. But if that's happening on a worldwide basis, it's just it's difficult to, you know, how how do you swallow that? But Kyle, to your point, is like, yeah, okay, he's not really a part of that. He didn't commit any of the atrocities. Right. But at one point he says, you know, but I never really objected to what was happening to the cold. Like when they started when they took the cold and just shipped them off into basically internment camps and warehouses to be raised away from all the good normal. Let's be honest, they killed them. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were. The you know, we have to find out why they're happening. So let's, you know, let's dissect a few. So, right. But they're, you know, they're they're beyond second class citizens. But the world has evolved a little bit beyond that. At least the United States has, in this sense, where they're not, you know, they're they're a kind of tolerated yet hated minority um, living amongst the people. But Kyle isn't really, he doesn't feel like he's a part of that, but he's also not self-righteous about it. He's not, oh, well, I was for cold rights all all along. It's like, no, you weren't. Nobody was. (laughs) That's what I was saying about him, right? Yeah. Now, you say it was like so many impossible things, which Mm -hmm. uh, nonetheless brutally proved their possibility by simply occurring. Which is a beautifully descriptive language, oh, by the way. I remember writing that. That's good. Yeah. But do you really think that it belongs in a class of violent events, such as wars or assassinations, or like, for example, the bombing of Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. or the Vietnam War? Was there, in fact, a certain almost inevitability mm. that the advent of the cold? It could have gone either way. Humanity could have proceeded as they always do, right? having babies and everything like that, but yeah. they didn't. Is there, was that certainly 
inevitable, do you think? Well, I, you know, there's there's nothing there's no precedent for the for the cold event happening. That that's that's the thing that makes it almost a horror story. It's a sense of, you know, this has never happened in the history of the world. Nothing, you know, there has been no event where people have just stopped all at once being born. Even even the evolution of humankind from would their take various stages. Ice Age, right? I, yeah, I can only think of Neanderthal to Cro-Magnon because you know that's how much education I've got. Ice Age is more indicative of the coming of the colds because the Ice Age, everyone else, the um, Vietnam War, World War One, World War Two, the Civil yeah. War, and the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the bombing of the World Trade Center were all man-made induced events. But yes. the coming of the Ice Age, the glaciation that occurred. Ah. Yeah, and and it would have seemed like a godlike intervention, you know, at at the time. It's like, well, why is this happening? You know, well, the master in the yes. sky must be angry. And is there a know. certain inevitability to the destruction of mankind? Hmm. Is the key oh. question. Oh, that's that's a that's a wonderfully morbid uh, thought. Um, <laughs> you know, I I try not to look on it that way which is not really my nature. My nature is a little more pessimistic and it's like, oh, you know, you can just, you know, oh, we're all doomed. You know, the climate's going to kill right. us. We're, we're done. Why are we even bothering? But for my particular calamity, it was, it was just, it's, it's so big and there's no precedent. That's the thing is you can't, you were saying the other ones were man-made. Yes, they were. And as horrible as they were, and as, as almost impossible as they are to absorb at the moment, you can figure them out and you can say, this is why this happened. Right, right. You know, this nation rose against that nation and these horrible things happened. But here's the here's here's the forensic evidence. Here's the autopsy of the thing. You Next try and figure out the cold. It's like, well, why did this happen? This couldn't <laughs> possibly have happened. So you have an you have like a an ice age event, but you have it happening in the modern times where you have. Right. You know, you have extreme rationality and, you know, scientific method. And it's like and the and you apply all that to this event and it's no good whatsoever. And you can't you cannot square the circle. It's just so right. you have to you have to accept it on almost a personal level, which is what Kyle eventually does by having the relationship with the girl. It's almost like he's finally, finally confronting who the cold are by getting up close and personal with one. Yeah, but it's sort of like genetics, you know, some like the genetic switch that turned off the reproduction, turned off the emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that's all right. You write that humans revolt against the actuality, right? And that is very insightful. Mm. Do you think, like so many world altering events, that humans rebelled against the very hubris of not being included in the decision making that led to the colds? Or do they rebel against the reality that there was no decision making that eventually led to the eventuality of the colds? They they just happened. That they were just witnesses on the sidelines. Uh, oh, that that's good. That really gets to uh, uh, to the heart of the horror of the piece, which is the fact that, like I said, you know, this is not a man-made event. So you right. can't you can't describe. You can't rationally ascribe blame to anybody. It's like nobody actually did this. You know, e even in even in the novel and the movie Children of Men, which is sort of the this thing has its DNA and from from that work by P.D. James, where people um, people are just stop being born. It's just it's a sterilization event. It's just 
but there's a sense that there's a rationality there. It's like, oh, well, we poisoned the environment. We've done this. We've done that. This could happen with a with a ra with a rational explanation, even if it seems extreme. It's it's a drastic, drastic event. But it's like you could point to it and go, oh, probably this happened and this happened and this happened, and all these events came together in a horrible, unlikely, but there they are anyway way. But with the cold, you can't. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing there. There's no possibility that people would start would stop being born with emotions. There is no switch that right. you can turn. And the fact that it happens in such an absolute manner, like, and I, I even refer to it in the book, it's called the line. And the line is straight and it cleaves straight through history. Right. And it divides, you know, humanity into the into the colds, which are 20 years and younger, and into the old, which are 20 years and up. And guess what? People are aging. So the line keeps moving. So people have this sense, and rightly so, that you're all going to be pushed out of the frame, just like that. That's and it's only going right. to be the colds left. And you, first you're going to be middle-aged, and then you're going to be older, and then you're going to be doddering, and then you're dead. And these beings who have no emotions, who have no appreciation for anything that you've created, anything that you've accomplished with your lifetime are going to have control and dominion over the world. They're going to get to touch all your stuff. Yeah, there's no one to remember your good attributes or your bad attributes. Yeah. As far yeah. as Coles are concerned, you didn't really exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are no heroes. You will not be remembered. I have this, this chilling bit where I talk about what about Shakespeare? Shakespeare's just going to disappear. All the books are going to molder. Even the computer files are going to, because they're never going to access them. These words will never be read again. And I remember writing that and going, oh, damn, that is dark. That is really God. <laughs> now you're right that God or some mm -hmm. other galactic timekeeper should have the responsibility of resetting the scenario, which I thought was very telling. In fact, Kyle seems ambivalent about the existence of God mm -hmm. or totally inured to the concept. Does he wish that there was a God that it could accomplish a reset or <laughs> some other galactic timekeeper? Or is he believing in nothing and satisfied with his non-belief? What does Kyle believe now that the ground seems to be falling away from him and nothing will ever be the same? Yeah, well... Kyle's, um, I, I would say he's he's an atheist, not an agnostic, but agnostic is probably closer. Um, yep. I have a bit where he, um, this must be after the advent, of, yeah, it's after the advent of the cold, and he tries his hand in prayer for a little while, and he prays for things, and he prays for, you know, guidance and calm, and it, and it seems to be working for him, but then he figures out, oh, I'm not really praying to an entity. I'm just doing a kind of self-meditation exercise. And it's working, but there's no supernatural force going on. And so he discards the whole idea. Um, so he doesn't believe in God. The instinct when this thing happens is to believe that there is a divine or supernatural intervention, because there's no other explanation that could possibly fit. There's just, you know, there's you can't rely on science or medicine for this. You know, there's there there's nothing in the books uh, for a precedent. So so you go to, you know, the ultimate, pardon me, irrational belief. 
and you believe in a supernatural entity that controls everything, and if it controls everything, well, then that being has manipulated these events to happen. But he can't make himself believe in this. You know, he's it, it would seem it would seem almost uh, petty isn't quite the word, but it, it would seem disingenuous if he tried to believe now or even give lip service to any given religion or any softer belief in God. It was like, you know what? You never believed before. You can't go there now. Just don't do it. it he would like the idea if it, if if there were a God and it could be, you know, proved in a way that would sort of satisfy him and say, okay, here's the scientific uh, proof of God. And so it's God's fault. And that would be great. But that's simply not going to happen. That's even more unlikely than the cold phenomenon having happened. So it's 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 an escape hatch he can't use. But many others have used it and many others on the planet when the cold happened. Use religion as an excuse to commit genocide against the cold. It's like, oh, these these are, you know, uh, outcast, unclean. You know, abominations is a word. Yeah, yeah. We'll just we'll just wipe these, you know, creatures out from the abyss and then everything will be all right. Or, you know, maybe we'll sacrifice them to one of the old gods. They soon find out that isn't true. Yeah, yeah. Nothing no. they does, nothing they do rather, affects yeah. the outcome. Yeah. And by the time the story is being told, which is 20 years after the event, people have more or less accepted that we're not going to be saved. None of this hysteria that we tried in the first years made any difference and it made things much worse. So there's a sense of just this sort of aching resignation to this horrible event. And yet somehow you're still going through the course of your day and managing to get along, even with this, you know, terrible slow motion apocalypse hanging over your head. I'd like to touch on something we touched on last time. Mm. Now, why do you think with the advents of the cold, there was this almost mania for seeking the last real emotive child? Ooh. Describe the hunt as, which I thought was a wonderful description, but as demented as the riots and slaughters which have preceded it. Mm -hmm. That is stark language, believe me. Yes. Again, what difference would it make in their lives if they did find the last true, truly human child was born, right? right? Was there a certain frenzied attempt at discovering meaning on their part, or was there a deeper need, or just, you know, that they couldn't understand, and they hoped to achieve understanding by finding her? Well, um, it's, it's almost an inverse reaction to the terrible things that people did right away. Like I described, you know, pregnant women being slaughtered in the streets. And not just in, you know, third world countries or places. Oh, I would expect that to happen there. No, I think I mentioned, you know, this happens in Jersey City. So there's the terrible things that people have committed. But then somebody gets the bright idea of, well, who was the last child born? And it becomes this absolute mania. And it possesses the whole world. And it's, it's a ludicrous undertaking because it makes no difference whatsoever. But after having committed atrocities, this undertaking, this endeavor would seem noble. Oh, we're going to find the last one who is us. We're going to find this poor little child who still reacts with emotions, who cries for mama when she's hungry. 
and 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 it gives it gives humanity something to do that's not necessarily productive, but is certainly not counterproductive. No harm comes of this. Well, let's leads me to another point, right? When they Please. do discover, they mm-hmm. celebrate her and exalt yes. her to royalty status, right? Yes. They have a palace for her. Don't they at some point awaken to, as you describe it, the ludicrousness of the enterprise? Uh, probably at some point that sets in, but this is basically the only thing that people can do that makes them feel good on a broad scale. This is the only this is the only thing that humankind can do. You know, it, it, it's it's like, oh, control, at least, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, we're gonna get beyond the space program and we're gonna get to the moon, you know, uh, and you know, what a wonderful, you know, that gets you together. That's a crowd pleasing kind of thing. It's something sure. control too. I mean, honestly, you can't escape that, right? Yeah. Oh, they, for sure. The polls, They've tried everything, but they just don't get a handle on it. They can't yeah. control the events, but yeah, this but, time they can. Yeah, and and when they get their when they get their grubby mitts on on this young girl, <laughs> you know, of course they're going to elevate her, and it's like, why why not build a palace? Because you're celebrating the last of what you you know what people would see as what is good. Everything that we evolved toward was you know to be better people, to be kinder. The cold can't be kind. They don't have it. They don't have it in them. Right. But here, so here is the final example of what hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and trial and error and you know trying different systems of culture and government and you know we we were good people sort of kind of you know and we would have gone on to be better people. But here's the last example that we've got. So we're gonna build her a palace. And we're going to call her the queen and people are going to come visit her. And the thing that I like about it is that this young child, whoever she is, because I don't name her, steps into the role and she's good at it. It's almost like when Queen Elizabeth, all of a sudden, as a young woman, you're the queen now. And she is up to the task where she really (laughs) should not have been. But she stepped into the shoes and she says, "Okay." I'm going to do this. And I just, I, I love that about the queen. I then that bit was in the original yep. uh, short story. I almost lived in think, verbatim. Yeah. And it, I, I always found that really moving because the final line of that scene right. was, uh, we love our queen. And that was Don't just like, think oh. you a real pisser if she died in an early age of childhood leukemia. Oh, that oh, really oh. That's that's the dark alternative or see that's too much for me. You know, I gotta lighten it a little bit, you know. All right. You wrote this compelling description that Kyle and I cannot get out of his mind, right? <laughs> her courier bay, her chopped hair, her taut young butt. She's a cold, and I would guess her to be nineteen, perhaps even twenty. Mm-hmm. It would put her in that first wave of the colds, the initial children born lacking all emotional capacities. She is lucky not to have been killed, for that was when the violence was at its worst. Once the fact of these children's nature was documented. Mm. Now, I assume Kyle was even alive when she was born, but I don't know that. Is it infatuation with her purely a physical attraction, or is it an admission of his disconnect with humanity? Well, it begins as a purely 
physical um, attraction. And, and of course, he was alive when she was born. He's 40. She's 19 or 20. So, you know, naturally. And uh, but he sees her in like the opening paragraphs of, of the novel and, you know, sees her and she's a bike messenger. And, this the, you know, eventually finds out this girl's name is, is Alice. But he sees her and sees the incredible physicality of her and the uh, the elasticity of youth. And it's something that he does not have anymore, though. He's hardly a doddering old man. And, you know, he's not, you know, he's not hanging around with middle aged joint pain. But, you know, he sees her and it's like, oh, that's what we used to be like. I used to be that age and I used to have that stamina and that, you know, flexibility and like, oh, how, you know, he's completely drawn to her because of that but when he gets her in a room you know the physical attraction stays but things start to creep in from the sides and he starts to he's he's studying her to find out how she reacts to things and you know he'll he'll ask her things like what do you think of this song we're going to go through it line by line what do you think of this song music doesn't mean anything to a cold she's like and she's like well why I don't understand the repetition. It's like, well, that's the chorus of the song. It's like, well, wh yeah. what, why? What does that mean? Or it's like, he asks her, where do you want to go eat? Do you have food preferences? Would a cold have food preferences? Not really. Just no. Speaking just of food, needs to eat fuel. Your description of this aspect of Kyle is kind of quietly powerful in its implication. He says, but now I am forty. I have not put on weight. Clothes that fit me, clothes that fit me 10 or 15 years ago fit me still. Mm -hmm. Part of that is my mild indifference toward cuisine. Mm. Is this not the same attitude that Coles have to food? What does that mean about Kyle? What does it say about him? Yeah, well, that, that's another indicator that he's not as caught up in um, the kind of the little pleasures in life uh, that other people are. Uh, no, it, not not quite. Um, um, but he just he just didn't quite get on board with drastic displays of emotion when he was younger. He just he you know probably saw it as a certain amount of indignity, but also well, what does this accomplish? You know, right? You know. You're you're in, say you're in a romantic relationship and things start to go bad and it's like well then you burst into tears and it's like well why would you do that you figure out if it's going to work or it's not and if it's not then you just bail um, don't you think that that's a curious way to look at the world though yeah Kyle's out of sync oh yeah yeah but it's not not artistic but well it's not completely unreasonable the sense of you know i don't i don't want to behave as other people behave um because it's just it it's ugly it's like well i don't want to engage in jealousy because that's just such a pointless emotion you know i don't i don't want to have tears in public i don't want to bray laughter in an elevator i don't see the value in these uh overt and kind of displays of emotion yeah these kind of ugly displays of emotion and then that's one of the things that happens in this world is that uh the olds the idea is that if you feel anything just go ahead and just cut loose just go crazy you know flip out in a restaurant uh you know just 
if you feel like crying, just have a tantrum on the sidewalk. And even before the colds came along, he was like, I don't, that isn't, that isn't really me. I'm just a little more reserved than that. Doesn't mean I'm better, but I just, I, I don't want to participate in that. Thank you very much. You know, not, not autistic, just kind of, like I said, he's a half step off from everybody else. And it's like, I get that. I totally get that. I can write that. And I did write that. Let's, yeah, let's say another point, right? He says, how limber she must be. A snare, snare drum layer of flesh over tense arrangements of muscle. Limbs like tubes of hard meat, but possessed all over of a springiness and athletic vibrancy. She must be a strapping girl. This, don't you think, wow. speaks of a controlled lust for the cold, a need for the young woman that belies all veneer of civilized thought. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in this sense, Kyle is still detached from her, uh, thinking of her as a thing to possess, that he, not even to conquer, because she's not worthy of that thought to Kyle, right? But oh. just to have. What does that say about Kyle? Oh, that's, that's good. Um, his physical attraction to her, which is in its way quite understandable, but also, you know, kind of extreme. I mean, he's he has an obsession with her. I mean, he's going out of his way to spot her when she's out on her uh, bike, on her bike doing her courier thing. He's going out of his way to, you know, oh, maybe I'll go and see her come flying down the hills again. But that ends up just being um, kind of his ingress to her. It's like, why am I interested in her? I'm interested in her because of the physicality of her. And that becomes the entry point to her. And when he and when he arranges to have a relationship with her, and which is basically I'm I'm paying you to live with me and we're gonna have sex. Right. Once he accomplishes that and he satisfies himself into the kind of you know middle-aged lust for her. Fantasy, right? Yeah. Once once that is done and then she's still there and he starts to wonder about her on different levels. And it's like, well, is she, is she more than just this attractive physical thing? He's curious and a, you know, like I said, he's testing her in different ways and studying her and seeing what her reactions are and seeing if he can stimulate her in different ways because she's not. You know, she's not unintelligent. She can right. she can reason and she can figure things out. She can adapt to situations. There's, you know, there's scenes where her survival mode is, is very much in, evident, in, in, in evidence in, a, in clever ways. You know, there's a, they're, they're eating at a downtown restaurant and there's other people in the restaurant and another, a group of toughs at another table start hassling them. And she turns around and just starts yelling at them not in the way that a cold would. And so they think, oh, she must she must just be over the line. She must be, you know, 20 right. years and three days. So she's, oh, she's one of us, but she's not. She's just mimicking it. But that, that shows that she has depths that he didn't expect and she doesn't speak in contractions, which surprises him. Or she, you know, she does speak in contractions. She doesn't speak in robotic, you know, ways. And that surprises him when, when he's first with her. Her, her own sex drive is startling to him, but that's just a physiological need. And, you know, so he learns things about her that he never knew about colds because he's never really been exposed up close and personal 
with a cold. You know, he sees one in an elevator. He sees them on the streets now and then. You know, there's, oh, there's this chilling bit early on when he's walking through the downtown. And there's a preacher on a corner, an old preacher. He's talking about God and the cold came because it's the wrath of God. And you see this child here and he's got a cold with him, you know, maybe a 15, 16 year old kid just standing there as the example. And Kyle's looking at this spectacle and says, oh, he must have thrown this kid a 20. And that's why he's putting up with this because you need, you know, take the money. And it's like, he's just, he's just doing it. He doesn't care about the indignity because it doesn't mean anything to him. But he's reminded of, this is like an, organ grinder and the kid is the monkey and yet it doesn't bother him he just wants the money you know yep that's really uh now do you think let me frame this correctly that like today's artificial intelligence right Hmm. is a machine language it responds like a machine 20 years ago 10 years ago five Hmm. years ago but now it's adapted and responds like a human being, right? Mm-mm. Do you think that the colds can ever make that transition? Or are they permanently cut off from making that transition? Well, um, I think as as old still exist in the world, right? they will adapt to the olds to a certain extent. Like the old, like, at the point of the book where it all takes place, the olds are still in charge of everything. The colds are in charge of nothing. They are not supervisors. They, you know, they, I think they can't even vote. They certainly don't get elected to office. They don't (laughs) run anything. They are just the menial help. The colds still have their fingers on all the, on all the levers of power. They're, they're in the government. They run the infrastructure. They're the cops. They're the army. They fly the airplanes. You know, they're in charge of everything, but they're not going to be for forever. So the colds will accommodate them as need be in order to have a place in society in the in the uh, in the old society where they have to earn money so that they can live and they have survival instincts. So they're going to plug themselves into the system and they will put up with that for as long as it takes. But eventually the olds are just going to age out and they're going to get older and older and then they're going to be less relevant and then they're not going to be running everything anymore. And then the colds will slowly, insidiously to the thinking of the old, start to replace the old systems with whatever they have in mind, which is probably something a lot simpler, probably won't have economy. You know, they're not going to want or need money, I imagine, but I never say that. It's yeah, you know, that's up to the reader. Speculate on your own. So they will they will humor to an extent the olds as long as that need be. But when the olds are gone, they're not going to emulate old behavior. They're not gonna, you know, pretend that they have emotions. They will revert to their natural state, which is a completely emotionless survival-centric state, and they will make of the world what they're going to make. And, you know, they still breed, you know. Sex is necessary for a cold, just in a physiological kind of release way, so they will still breed. Babies will still be born. They'll all be cold babies. And that will be the society that they make, which will probably be very clean lines and very simple. You know, you're not going to have 
a society of civil litigation and war is just going to be probably pretty quiet and tame. Now, let's take this up in the next interview. We'll uh, meet again next Saturday, right? Oh, yes. Same time, please. same place. That'd be great. Interview. And I like it a lot. Yeah, me too. This is a nice way to break up my weekend. Let me tell yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The name of the book is The Cold by Eric DiCarlo. He's an author with White Cap Publications. And it's out now. Yes. Yes, See it then? is. All right. Go buy. Go buy and read. It'll, it'll make your life better. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'll see you, Eric. All, All right. right. Take care.